Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello, you're very welcome along to this week's episode of the Group Chat Podcast. I'm news correspondent Zara King and I'm joined in the studio by political correspondent Gavin Riley. Hi Zara. And my fellow news correspondent Richard Chambers. Hi yeah. How are you? Good yeah. It's been a interesting couple of days. Mm. The last time you would have heard from the group chat was obviously for the bonus episode, which we released on Friday. Richard, I'm going to come straight to you because uh, you are now working on a special report on what happened last Thursday. Um, you've been filming quite a lot and looking at it in depth. Sort of bring us up to speed about what's happened since we last spoke to listeners. Well, I suppose the obvious starting point is actually with the convi- condition of the people who were um, attacked um, mm-hmm. outside the school, Gwaelskull, Kolostavura on Parnell Square East. The five-year-old girl who was critically injured in that attack, um, as of recording on Wednesday, still in a critical condition. So she's still fighting for her life in hospital. There was um, some indication that she'd stabilised a little bit but she is still in a very precarious situation. Mm-hmm. So her thoughts are obviously with um, her and her family. Um, her carer, who was also stabbed, is still in hospital. And the person of interest in this case is still under guard in hospital. Um, his condition is um, not critical, uh, but his the nature of his injuries, which do include head injuries, we understand, uh, mean it's probably going to be a matter of possibly into weeks before Gardy can actually properly holding into you, although that needs to be monitored and that could be something which changed. So that's where we're at with regards to um, the stabbing which started all this. And then in terms of the rioting um, which materialised off the back of that, um, it's really difficult to get a grip on, on where you actually start with the investigation into that because there's the actual disorder and all the rioting and the violence that we did see on the night. Mm-hmm. There's also the investigation into, well, how did that get started? And all of that will be focusing on the online element, which I'm sure we'll come to in a little bit. Mm-hmm. But there's hundreds and thousands of hours of CCTV footage which is being trawled through at this point. Um, I'm sure for listeners and people who have been around Dublin over the last couple of days and weeks as well, or days since the um, since the riot, which will, you know, effectively when you're listening to this as a podcast, it's a week on effectively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it will be, yeah. Um, it's kind of hard to get your head around everything because so, so much of the damage was immediately covered up like in terms of repairs, the tarmacking was done on O'Connell Street almost immediately. The crowd is actually the council workers, which I think is kind of, you know, to acknowledge that how, how quickly they were on the scene mm. the next day and really got yeah. the city back up on its feet to a degree. Yeah, know? a lot of the, the shops have now been fully repaired. They've got the glass done. Mm. Some of them are still boarded up, have, you know, plywood and whatever on, on their windows. But the scars from what happened last Thursday are, you know, we, we actually don't know the extent of them yet yeah. because I think it's very obvious now, though, to anybody um, who's even paid, you know, passing attention to the news and social media that we're in a very dangerous place now. 
and it's a place we should have seen coming. Many of us, many people have, you know, raised the alarm about this going back a long time. But we are now in uncharted territory in this country in terms of what we saw last Thursday, the implications of it and what it could inspire going forward as well. Politically, Gavin calls now for the Justice Minister to resign or to be be removed from her post. Yeah, um, which the government will obviously hold out against. But at the time of recording, we don't know this for certain, but it's now almost certain that Sinn Féin will use its dull time next Tuesday to table a mo- motion of no confidence seeking to get rid of her, um, which will almost certainly be defeated by the government. But it is nonetheless the grandest gesture that an opposition party can do, saying you should sack the minister. Uh, And they've been saying in leaders' questions on Wednesday that um, because Helen McEntee hasn't ever formally acknowledged that for a few hours at least, um, the guards lost control of the main street and other areas of the capital city and that that's not on and that you can't, if you, they they would think if you can't acknowledge that, then you have no business staying in the job. Now, Helen McEntee for her own part says, well, we're doing all these other concrete things. We're making sure that the Guardian are adequately resourced, you know, where I'm going away to check whether, um, make sure that they all feel comfortable in their use of batons, for example, because a lot of members of the Guards anecdotally don't feel like they're comfortable doing that for fear of recriminations that they might be thought of as having used excessive force. Some of the things she is doing though, and it's worth pointing this out, and I understand why spin doctors would want to talk up things that they're already doing. You want to look like in a situation like this, you're making active, assertive, concrete things. You are offering some kind of a strong-armed response to what's going on. A lot of what has been announced and is shortly in train is stuff that was already happening. So the discussion, like for example, around the guards being allowed to wear body cams, legislation finished its journey through the door on Wednesday evening, was happening anyway. Uh, Helen McEnany and others now talking this up as a part of the government's response was already happening. Legislation to allow the use of facial recognition technology so that it's easier mm-hmm. in future to scan through all uh, footage that you've got CCTV and the likes and identify people automatically without needing to do it manually was already happening. In fact, they wanted to do it in the body cams bill and the Green Party said not too easy about you doing those two, two things together at the same time. Okay, so can I just pause off. for a second on that particular point, Richard, because that is the thing, isn't it, that's going to really... Like Anna McEntee even said yesterday when she was speaking to, to reporters that that alone is something that's going to be cumbersome. Like that's the thing that's going to take the most amount of time to identify individuals and then eventually have people arrested. She's admitted yesterday that it could take months for people to, mm. to be brought to justice because of yeah. that exact point. Yeah, like, I mean, I look at it and I'm and I see all of the, the the political ramifications of this. And here's what we're going to do to make sure this doesn't happen again. And none of what they're outlining is actually stuff which will prevent it happening again, mm. right? Mm. Everything that they're outlining is what happens when there is the next riot. Okay, mm-hmm. everything is about well, what will Gardaí be able to use? Will they be able to use force? Will they be have you know proper equipment? What pepper spray will they have? Uh, will they feel secure in using force? what sort of gear will they be wearing? It doesn't prevent the next riot. It's about yeah. what happens when the next riot actually happens. But is there a certain inevitability to that though? I, I think, well, I think that it's a good, it, there is, yeah, I, th- I do think obviously the far right... I know the answer to that question obviously, but it's to kind of consider... There's inevitability that the far right is here and they are emboldened by what has happened. Uh, literally only a couple of nights ago, we saw Mary Lou MacDonald um, again being um, heckled outside um, a meeting she was coming from uh, in her constituency, some of the people who are involved there or some of the people who streamed that were some of the people who have, you know, pushed online some of the talking points which are widely shared by members of the far right. Um, so that is something which is clearly like, you know, we're going to see more and more agitation. We saw in Drumhair in County Leitrim, um, people set up illegal checkpoints, effectively vigilante style 
checking identifications of drivers because of concerns there locally around the use of a former hotel mm. uh, for asylum seekers. There's an emboldenment happening here now and not everybody involved would probably fit into the confines of what's known as the far right. But this is all spiralling off of what happened and it is spiralling into, a, into, a, into an area where we can expect more issues arising out of the, this. The one just as, as a counterpoint to, to some of that because I, I do agree that there probably will be an inevitability about there being some kind of display like this in future. It's probably worth distinguishing between the anti-immigrant nature of some of the people who instigated the disorder last Thursday and then some others who just opportunistically bailed into it because there was disorder and they wanted yeah, to... Yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm actually going to draw a line in this because I actually think this is well overplayed. This is well overplayed. The riot wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for the far right. No, that's true. And no, there's so many people who in politics have decided straight off the bat that oh, you can't assign a political ideology for what happened. Mm. If it was just about lads who wanted to wreck Dublin, they would have wrecked yeah. Dublin any other night of the week. The point I was just going to make was that the idea of having more pepper spray or more permissive use of batons and the likes yeah. is an attempt to disincentivize opportunistic lads who will hop onto somebody else's bandwagon. Yeah. But it, as you're right, it doesn't deal with the underlying political satisfaction. It does grind the gears because it's just like, if we've heard so much from politicians and from the Guardia around who've defended their approach to how they've policed the far right uh, over months and months and months uh, in terms of, you know, violent incidences, the burning of tents, the firebombing of asylum mm. centres. Mm. This has been coming for so long and you know, they've defended their approach and now they've got to a point where now we've had a riot take over our streets of our capital mm. for a long period of time and now we've decided or some people are trying to de de declare that it's not the far right, it's just lads. Like, no. when are we ever going to get a, go to grips with no, the problem I, I when we can't identify it? Ridiculous. I think yeah. it's a ridiculous assertion. Mm. But sorry, continue the point you were going to make that I totally interrupted you in about five minutes ago. No, but it, no, no, <laughs> sorry there, about I, that. I can't remember what, what point that <laughs> was. There's too that, many issues. But, but, but many issues. Just that the point that just to crystallise the other point is that the, the idea of giving guards more resources to deal with future riots, yes, it, it, pres it presumes that more rioting will take place at some other point but it's trying to deal with the opportunistic hangers-on, not well, the look, underlying cause. Um, yeah. the, there is a big question though, and you mentioned, you know, the, the policing response up till now. And this really does lead to the question, which hasn't gone away from the political ramifications of this in the last six or seven days, which mm -hmm. is, how do they not see it coming? Partly because of, as you rightly point out, Richard, the very hands-off approach to protests in libraries or the burning of Sandwich Street or a lot of the other things that have gone on, which have, have basically... The guards have taken a very hands-off approach of do not inflame, but they're still allowing. But people yeah, exactly. To act is that the point of hands-off is like a de-escalation sort of, or is it that you know? Yeah, there's like you can see that there was a logic probably to that to some degree. Yeah, and the, the, it is. It, it I know for certain that it's a direct specific response to what they now recognise as the over-policing of water charges protests. Uh -huh, like for example, yeah. where the guardy went in in some cases hammer and tongs using the sort of. Um, assertiveness that really wasn't required in the situation and ended up making marches of some people and, and actually inflaming an awful lot of cir circumstances that really could have been downplayed had they gone in with a more gently, gently approach. So they tried to learn from that, but now they've, they've gone in with a situation where they've been very hands-off on stuff which is clearly objectionable, like protests at libraries, harassing of library staff, the burning of asylum seekers' belongings mm -hmm. on side streets in Dublin within a stone's throw of Leinster House. And and now we are where we are. And moreover, and Richard, you, you uh, allude to this because I know you were there and you saw Mary Lou MacDonald arrive uh, on Thursday afternoon to the site mm. and she's a constituent CTD. So, you know, she shows up. But how, how immediately evident it was to anyone who was there, whether it be reporters like yourselves or politicians that showed up, that there was already going to be something of a sinister response to all of this. Mm. And it was very obvious on Telegram channels that, as I mentioned last week, the guards do watch because that's how they knew there was going to be a protest in mid-September at Leinster House. No one rang up Pier Street and said, by the way, lads, run our way down. 
the guards just saw it coming because they monitor these things. If you monitor those things, if you open TikTok and you've seen people doing live streams on the For You page in the last few weeks, following on from the murder of Ashley Murphy and the sentencing of Joseph Pushka, and people talking about how there's a need to clamp down on immigration in the country, how did you not see it coming? How did you not know that all it needed was one lightning rod for the whole thing to boil over? And how do they not see that last Thursday was going to be it? Maybe they didn't literally have enough people to, to cover it. And maybe it goes back to the root point that likes the Guard the Representative Association have been making and even um, Dahi Daroche to the mayor has been making about that you're policing the capital essentially on overtime, that you're mm. relying on, you know, people coming forward and doing extra hours and yeah. that maybe actually this thing that we've been talking about for months and months and months when we think back to the attack on Stephen Termini and we talked about the capital not having enough resources. Mm-hmm. Like, it's all well and good to have the intelligence and say, yeah, look, we know this is going to happen. But if you don't actually have the boots to put on the ground, well, then you're kind of leaving yourself yeah, quite but vulnerable. I, yeah, I, I, I agree. And resourcing and numbers is obviously a, a part of it. But it's the response itself was, I mean, we, we hear about it in the, in the documentary as well, that the view, there's a growing view that it was just wholly inadequate in terms of what actually arrived and when it arrived. Because, as you say, Gavin, and it wasn't just on Telegram. This wasn't on some like nebulous, you know, mm. app, which nobody has. It was on Twitter. Uh, which is where people were telling people to come down to the spire. Uh, people were declaring that Ireland was at war all the way throughout the afternoon. Mm. If you are already there and, you, and you're at the scene and you have senior guardy who are at the scene as well and they are being um, abused very, very vociferously and you had for a period of a couple of hours perhaps before the riot actually started, mm. guardy being jostled at the cordon well, said, sure bring the, more sure the public order guardy down. Surely the guards of the cordon knew that the turn that things were taking and then ought to have fed that back up the food chain and some decision yeah. being made. So if it is the case that the resources were just inadequate or that there aren't enough bodies on the ground, that's where then well, the question mark over Helen McEntee's future comes in because it's a little bit like housing where Dara O'Brien says, yeah, like I know the situation is rough, but like we're investing like no one's ever done before. We're now building more houses than have been done for 20 years and producing all these metrics that show progress. Progress isn't enough progress if there's still a bigger problem that you're not dealing with. Like you can build more and more houses, but if there's more and more people homeless, then you're, you're underperforming. And the same thing can be said of Helen McEntee in that, yes, you've made sure there's more guards, yeah, but, but if even, you're still running to, to catch up, you haven't done enough. But even the more guards thing was interesting. So yesterday, Helen McEntee was saying there's like 27 new guards going through Templemore. And I was thinking like 27 is like nothing. 27 extra people on O'Connell Street last week wouldn't have, like, I mean, it would have been helpful, but I don't know if 27 would have been... Probably would. If they were all public order guards, they might have done a job because that's at the end of it. These are 27 newbies coming out of college who are Mm. just starting out. Like, you can't put, or sorry, you you can put a lot of emphasis on the expertise and experience of somebody who's been in policing for many, many years. You know, a new graduate, you know, with the greatest respect, it's it's exciting. They come out of college, they come in with good intentions and they Mm. work hard, of course. But the the difference between somebody who has that boots on the ground experience and knows what to look out for and is sharp and, as you say, Richard, has perhaps done, um, you know, training to be in the various different units. Mm. Which is then stepped up, by the way. That more more yeah, members of more, exi- more existing members of the force. You know yeah. what I mean? That's a very different person that you're sending out on that on that job on that policing operation. So, you know, 27 new people coming out of college. I don't like. I, of course, we need people to keep coming, but I just mm. you know I don't know if that's necessarily as you say, Richard, the answer. It's, it's it's definitely part of how you have to keep people safe in it because Dublin was not safe. Mm. And it wasn't safe again on Friday, even though Gardy took a much more proactive response to it. Uh, Conor Lally, the crime and security editor of the Irish Times, uh, in a piece today, uh, he quotes an experienced Dublin-based guard who says, we've been overly tolerant of some of these far-right people. And that probably started during the pandemic. A core group of them were roaming all over the country looking for a rise out of us. The instruction was not to engage, not to steam in and arrest people because we didn't want disturbances kicking off. But that's only emboldened them. 
And I think some of our own people, i.e. the guards, maybe got used to that style of policing, doing everything you could to avoid stepping forward and confronting these characters. So, like, you can only tackle the problem when you admit that there's a problem. Uh, And I think that until everybody sort of agrees that, you know, what we're dealing with here is a group which we're struggling to actually understand as a political and, Mm. you know, Mm. the authorities as an establishment, you can't really address it. And now I think there is probably a growing consensus like how dangerous this grouping is, this loose affiliated grouping is. Um, But there are serious question marks being asked within the Gardaí about the instructions which their members have given been given over the last number of months that this idea, as you say, Gavin, and like, don't give them what they want. Don't make martyrs out of anybody. Well, if you don't make martyrs out of anybody, they'll continue to think they can get away with everything. And they did get away with absolutely everything mm. last Thursday night. I, I want to pause on the, the social media element of this as well, because this is something which is now being investigated in terms of incitement and how this riot happened, yeah. how people were brought on, whether they'd be people who are involved in anti-immigration or who are involved in the far right, plus then other people who opportunistically Mm. thought there'd be trouble and it would kick off as well as mm. part of that. Uh, so they're looking at obviously a lot of postings which would have taken, a lot of people will have seen some of these postings. Um, for example, you know, voice messages saying, mm. let's go out there and just kill, mm. kill, the, kill the foreigners, people. kill the immigrants, yeah. which is a very, very, you know, that was widely shared across international media. Uh, so they're looking at all these things. They're looking at a couple of high profile people um, who will have shared um, some of this material online. Um, but there's a big problem which has sort of been allowed to fester online. That is Twitter.com has become, um, I think, effectively, well, it's Elon Musk, right? The owner of Twitter.com pays Tucker Carlson money to do his show. This is a former Fox News guy. Now now does a show exclusively Mm on X or Twitter. And uh, he was chatting away to Steve Bannon, who people might remember was a senior advisor to Donald Trump, Mm -hmm. saying that Ireland is replacing the Irish population uh, with people from the third world. And this has actively been pushed out by Twitter.com. Um, anybody who doesn't follow anybody from the far right will have seen far right talking points on the mm-hmm. For You tab. Uh, people with blue ticks, that's how they get extra views. I really don't understand, you know, it's not a place where you can do news properly anymore, I don't think. I stopped doing news there nearly a year, I'd say over yeah. a year ago now. I don't I, I, really I, share anything. It's a dangerous, dangerous place. Like yeah, all this... monitor, as you say, it's a monitoring space yeah. to monitor what's happening so that you're not totally oblivious. But I would, I rarely tweet. It's I don't think I've tweeted I think, I, I, I can understand why you wouldn't want to be around there anymore because some of the stuff, the, the personalised abuse that we get in replies now routinely is not a deal. But I, I know that's not the real point. But... I sort of fear that if if we all just decide wholesale to abandon it, given how populated the platform is, that you're just surrendering the entire playing field. What is it's not worth it? Is is the point? And I I I accept that we. But there's so many civilian users that are still there. Most people don't use Twitter, though. No, most people don't. But still, the the a a large number of the everyday users who who are our audience. Five, ten, fifteen years ago. Absolutely, yeah. Still there. I know, and there'll be different viewpoints on it, and they're all legitimate. But I think that you're giving a legitimacy legitimacy to the site, which is now funneling people towards complete lies, complete conspiracy theories, um, and Mm. is charging people for the benefit of funding more of these things, Mm. um, which is downright dangerous. uh, And it has absolutely played a role. That website played an absolute role in Mm. the burning of our capital city's main thoroughfare, the attacks on immigrants, it has been uh, a a really, really, really dangerous pool. And I think we've seen other media organisations around the world completely step off it. 
uh, like yeah. Australian news organisations mm. stepped up and said, we can't legitimise this anymore. Mm. We are only bringing more people to it because there will be good people and there will be people who put out good information on Twitter. But the problem is anybody who goes on there looking for good information is still going to be subjected to all the bad information. And you are doing yeah. just as much to just sort of keep eyes on muck, lies, slander, uh, defamation, hate speech and outright instigation now mm. of, uh, you know, Riots. Riots. I do take your point though. I mm. do take your point that, you know, you have to be the voice of reason among some of that. And I mm. understand that there has to be somebody there who does that. Because um, if the only news, like if you, in the same way that like a lot of people don't, people of our generation commonly don't get news from Facebook now. And Facebook has almost kind of become something of a wasteland where uh, people in of older generations are fed nonsense by bad faith actors. Yeah. That if we all just abandon Twitter, X, whatever algebraic function it is today, that we're kind of doing the same thing to a much more prominent platform mm-hmm. from which people usually harvest their news. Well, although as a counterpoint to that, Helen McAtee did say in the Dáil Chamber on Wednesday, she was asked again about, you know, how come you didn't see this coming? And she said that the guards were monitoring all of these platforms and that they had ongoing contact with TikTok, regularly accused of possibly being an agent of misinformation, but that when the guards said, hey, that material's inflammatory, TikTok was down straight away. They had ongoing contact with Meta, the publishers of uh, Facebook and of Instagram. Anything objectionable, taken down straight away. X, the publishers of Twitter.com, did not take material down. But Helen McEntee said that they specifically allowed stuff which is even against their own terms of service, let alone removing stuff that the guards thought was uh, some sort of incitement to hatred or might have been actually criminal content. X did not cooperate in taking it down, which is an interesting bellwether of where we are. Is that you off the tweets then? Are you just kind of monitoring? Yeah, I think it's just monitoring now. I just don't think I can, in good conscience, contribute there anymore. I don't think, I think, you know, Again, as I say, I just feel like you're just sort of swimming upstream. You can put out good information. People will distort it. People will get the For You tab, which will push the views and the outright lies of people uh, who, for example, on Thursday said that a man went into a school, a foreign man went into a school and stabbed five kids uh, and they all died, uh, which is an outright lie. Mm. Uh, This is what's been published. This is what's been pushed. Elon Musk himself knows exactly what he's doing. Uh, And I think that it's not worth us giving credence or legitimacy to a website which does not care about facts it does not care about good information and does not care what damage it does Okay Richard Chambers steps back from X So it actually means on a lighter note my last ever uh, post on Twitter (laughs) is a retweet of uh, Godzilla and it looks like he's in front of a microphone and somebody said so glad they finally got Godzilla on a podcast so there you go (laughs) Uh, that is my last footnote in there. Mic drop. Before the we time go, being, the documentary is out Thursday night. Thursday night, ten fifteen, uh, Dublin on fire. So it looks a look, basically a timeline of everything that happened over the course of the day. Some insight from people who are affected by it, uh, and sort of a look, a, a starting. I would say it's a starting look um, at some of the uh, bigger root causes of everything that happened. So hopefully most of you who are listening will have heard uh, the good news in terms of Emily Hand. Um, She was released from captivity inside Gaza over the weekend. Um, It was on Saturday night, actually. So obviously this is wonderful news for her father, Tom, who we had on the podcast and Tom spoke just a couple of weeks ago. Um, You know, such a relief, I suppose, for everyone in a sense that like we have to remind people that Tom Hand had been told that Emily was dead initially 
and had expressed relief on that front because he had been so worried about what she might have experienced if she was a hostage inside Gaza and then to learn weeks later that actually she was still alive and inside mm. Gaza and to come to terms with all of that and then to have gone on that sort of journey to Ireland, the UK and the States looking for support to have the Reese hostages. So really, really good news to the family and I think a lot of people probably have seen the clip and if you haven't, it's on, I think all of us have on our social media is the yeah. clip of them being reunited um, over the weekend. But like there's a long journey ahead of them now as a family in terms of Emily's recovery, in terms of, you know, helping her to deal with and process what she's been through. Um, Tom Han sat down with Clarissa Ward from CNN to talk about that reunion and how it went. And um, before we get into a chat about it, I just want to mm. give people a quick listen to that clip now. I thought she was in the tunnels, but she wasn't in the tunnels. They were actually fleeing from house to house. She doesn't like it to be referred to as Gaza. She says the kufsa, the box. So you have to say, like, how long were you in the box? The kufsa. She said a year. Um, so apart from the whispering, that was like uh, a punch in the guts. She cried until her face was red and blotchy. She couldn't stop. She, she didn't want any comfort. I, think, I guess she's forgotten how to be comforted. Uh, I just had to wait until she came out of it by herself. Um, and she knows how to do that. She's a very determined little girl, very strong. So you just heard Tom talking about whispering there. So when Emily first came out that, you know, she was so used to having to stay quiet and be quiet that in the environment that she was in that her voice was just a really faint whisper. Um, Gavin, you're a father of two little girls. Mm. I suppose you kind of hear that and think, you know, the idea of her concept of time being that she thought that she was there for a year. That, that's the bit that actually punches me in the gut a bit because um, I remember like when, when the news broke on, on Saturday night that she was out and just the general, you could almost sense on, on certain cursed social networking sites that we won't refer to again, you could sense that kind of, uh, that sudden uplifting mood. That everyone's like, oh God, like what a, mm. what a rare bit of good news after such weeks of just torrential just just bad news upon bad news upon bad news. Uh, and of course, there was always going to be a process of trying to, you know, overcome some of the the things that emerge when you're in captivity for seven weeks. But the idea that she thought she was there for a year mm. and just how much that that's just a, a single fact that just illustrates the enormity, not just for the Han family, but just for everyone involved in that, you know, for the people who now have been able to leave Gaza, you know, we were talking about the Alagas in previous weeks and some of what they've left behind and how you're going to be dealing with that baggage for so long. And that's not just even for individual pockets. It's, it's basically two whole societies in one way or another, most people in Israeli society and, and everybody in Gaza mm and parts of the West Bank too, and other regions, they're all going to be living with the fallout of this. We're, you know, we're in the middle of a, a, a what's now six days of a ceasefire. Let's touch wood and, and hope that it's more. But even that much, like six weeks of all-out war, and just the, the damage that that causes and the, the scars that people carry with them then for their whole lives, which just completely changes how everything, how everyone's lives They'll be running that region forever. Like you cannot, cannot begin to overstate that. But it's the children issue, isn't it? It's the Palestinian children, it's the Israeli children. It's children we've heard so much about and all yeah. of this. Um, I think that's probably amongst the most shocking things about what it has been just a, a grievous situation now for a number of weeks. Absolutely, heart goes out to the Hand family. Delighted Emily Hand has now been reunited with her dad. 
um, there are kids, the, the role of kids in this war and how kids have become almost the, the predominant mm-hmm. victims in all of this is something which is very, even just looking at the, the news headlines there today. So uh, a 14-year-old boy is one of those who, detainees who's been released from Israeli jails. Now, of course, if you're a 14-year-old trial, trial, and most of these prisoners who've been released by Israel never got a trial, never got a trial. Uh, these were administratively put in to jail um, taken from their family. So that's um, egregious as well. Uh, two young kids, according to the Palestinian Authority, have been killed by gunfire in the West Bank city of Jenin, uh, where Israel is carrying out an operation. More than 6,000 children have died in Gaza since the start of the war as well, plus all of those children who died uh, in Israel in the Hamas attacks. All those kids who've been hostages as well. And it is absolutely just staggering when you try and see not just the amount of kids who have been shot, who have died in airstrikes, who've been taken hostage, who've died throughout, you know, there's probably kids who have died now as a result of the hospital failures as well. Plus all the kids now who've had to come back now or who are walking away from this and they will have a lifetime in which they're impacted by everything. Yeah. Uh, whether that be Emily and, you know, again, wishing her all of the best in in her, in, in her life going forward. Mm-hmm. All of the kids from places like Ireland who've come back now home um, after being allowed to evacuate from Gaza. But all of them will carry what's happened over the last number of weeks with them for the rest of their lives. Yeah, and I think for a lot of people that might have realised as well, because there was so much going on at the time, you know, um, Emily's birth mother died when she was two and a half. Mm. And it was Tom's first wife, who would be the mum of her of Emily's older brother and sister, who kind of stepped in as a step mum and was, was her mother figure. And that lady was murdered in the kibbutz on the 7th of October on the day that Emily was abducted. So that all had to be delivered to Emily on foot of her coming out of, of mm. ha- captivity as well. Um, Gavin, just to move to the political aspect of this, um, Leo Radker tweeted again to bring up Twitter again. God, we can't avoid it. Um, <laughs> never tweet. As much as you've tried never, to never avoid tweet. it, Richard. Yeah. He did tweet at the time and, you know, this has caused quite a stir. The tweet that Leo Varadkar's account posted, because I, I, I don't think it was the man himself. I suspect it was some operative in his office because it, it, was, it, was, account it was verbatim. <laughs> to go full of Colleen Rooney on it. Yeah. Uh, because the tweet was verbatim, the first paragraph of what was a much more nuanced five paragraph statement that Leo Varadkar had issued where he fully acknowledged that this person who had been newly released and by the way, worth recalling in these circumstances, an Irish citizen. Mm-hmm. So the the apparent pretense that Leo Varadkar would somehow downplay an, an act of terrorism that resulted in an Irish citizen being kidnapped for six or seven weeks is just bunkum anyway. Mm-hmm. But Leo Varadkar's statement recognised all of that, but in... I guess what you might consider to be a slightly clumsy or ham-fisted attempt at being either poetic or trying to invoke some religious imagery, obviously in the first paragraph referred to Emily as, as having been lost and now being found. And this on... Was that some sort of like Amazing Grace reference or that something? That kind there? of a thing. I think that there yeah. were, there's a specific biblical uh, verse which isn't um, Amazing Grace that, that was a, apparently that the attempt was to invoke that. Right. But because anyway, the, it was only that first line that made it as far as a tweet because Leo Varadkar then took some more time to screen grab the whole thing after it took him a day to do it this was taken up as being the entirety of his statement and people in Israel said hang on why are you referring to her as only being lost she was kidnapped why are you downplaying terrorism which of course mm-hmm. was not the attempt at all but the the shorthand version of Twitter and the lack of nuance that it occurs uh, meant that Sonny McGuinness the Irish ambassador had to go into the uh, foreign ministry in Jerusalem on uh, a few days that followed and get a bit of a scolding because Ireland was apparently not sympathetic enough to the fact that one of its own citizens had been kidnapped but it's not going away Richard really is it doesn't seem to be, but I mean, you would think from an Israeli government point of view, they have more like pressing issues than what the Irish government, almost irrelevant, 
mm. uh, to the situation has to do with it. It is. And it was actually always, you saw universally, I think, even amongst, you know, political rivals, Leo Radker here said, come on. Yeah. It was very obvious what he was doing there. Mm. Um, but it did, it has stuck. Even I saw Daniel Hagari, who is an IDF, the Israeli Defence Forces spokesperson, yeah. uh, making the ref, a very pointed reference to, you know, the hostages not being lost uh, and found it was a, it was a, it was a case that they were taken from their homes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the Israeli pre- president uh, gave an interview to RTE then as well on uh, Tuesday night. And again, saying that Ireland is indifferent to Israeli pain, which I think is, is unfair. I think that there is, I think there is obviously an affinity there between the Irish people mm-hmm. and the Palestinian people, uh, which is very obvious seeing the, uh, you know, the outreach we've seen and the, the compassion shown over time. But uh, there does seem to be a level of, from the Israeli government point of view, um, probably thinking too much about what Ireland, the Irish government says, isn't it? I do wonder, is some of that coming from feedback from their people living here, though? Because when I speak to Israelis who live in Ireland, they would say very openly that they do feel, you know, nervous and kind of unsafe, you know, not mm-hmm. just in the general way that a lot of people do in Dublin at the moment for other reasons, but that they feel sort of like they don't feel so comfortable here in Ireland, actually. And I wonder, does that feedback go back then through the channels? And is that where this comes from? Some of it probably does, but I think it's more broadly, a lot of it's, they see like Palestinian uh, and Irish sort of solidarity on on issues and, you know, Irish people waving Palestinian flags at things and they think that that's linked up. Remember that politician also made that point a few weeks ago, um, telling people in Gaza that they can go to the desert or they can go to Ireland, but they won't be staying in Gaza, which is effectively a threat of an ethnically cleansing um, Gaza of its people. Um, so, yeah, there's clearly a very difficult issue. It's a very thorny issue and it's very difficult to see a normalisation of relations between Ireland and Israel. I know the Israeli pre- president has said he's invited Leo Varadkar to visit Israel, mm. um, which could be a starting point to that, uh, a friendlier basis. But Ireland has been, and unapologetically, and I think broad range of support, even amongst all the parties, been one of the loudest voices in terms of saying that Israel has to stick to humanitarian, international humanitarian law and what it's doing in Gaza. And that is something which does seem uh, to have been met with objection in Israel. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Uh, we should talk about Katie Taylor, uh, who pulled off something genuinely remarkable uh, in the three arena on Saturday night, um, not least because 
we came for so many years to just presume that Katie Taylor was effectively invincible anyway because basically everything she touched turned to gold. Then she had her defeat to Clarissa Shields um, earlier this year when she went up a weight, cla- uh, weight class and fought another undisputed champion. And when you do that and you're 36 going on 37 years old as she now is, there's often a presumption that, well, you know, you're 37 now and you've just had a defeat. So you're, you know, you're probably past your best. She had a rematch against Chris Shields last Saturday night uh, for Shields' undisputed championship at uh, super lightweight. 64 kilos is her usual one. And she moved up a weight class and she beat her and she beat her relatively comfortably. One judge thought it was a draw. Nonsense. She beat her pretty comfortably and is now a, a unified, undisputed world boxing champion in two different weight divisions at the same time. Wow. Which is just... That is Like, it's, it's bizarre. Like, it's... We, we've become desensitised to how many barriers she breaks down. Like, we, we just... We, I don't think we... we will not appreciate her greatness until she isn't there anymore because um, that, that's wild. It is wild. Yeah, beating Chantel Cameron uh, the other night. Um, she was fairly written off in many ways, mm. Katie Taylor, having lost her the first time around. Mm. Um... And was that just because of the age thing and she was getting a bit older and they didn't think maybe she Cameron is a bigger fighter. Yeah, she's a bigger fighter as well. She's having moved bigger. up weight class, it's always a big ask as well. So How old is Cameron? Is? She's younger. She's a couple of years younger than her, but she's also taller and heavier, mm-hmm. uh, which is natural advantages plus general um, age as well. Yeah. Um, and is an incredible boxer in her own right. Mm. And again, the fact that there was a split decision shows that she's, you know, no, no slouch. It's very hard um, to beat somebody as motivated as Katie Taylor was on the night, especially as she says, she's like, she felt disrespected in the build up to it. Mm. She was written off so much, even by um, the Irish press, who are always very good at, at getting behind yeah. our own people. Dan when the director to, tells us Chantal is 32. She's 32. So so yeah, five, five years, years, years on her. Significant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like all eyes are already going to go to the fact that they want a trilogy. Again, when, when she unified um, the lower weight class belts, I was like, just retire. Just retire undefeated, it'd be amazing. Uh, she's not that type of, type of boxer to she ever do this. She loves it though. She loves absolutely it so loves it. Totally. And she's always so wanted the Croke Park send-off as well, uh, which obviously couldn't happen this rem- time around or rem- previously. Remind around. us why it couldn't happen previously. What I don't know. The... Why, why it couldn't happen? Because <laughs> <Well, laughs> again, at a remove, you kind of forget why it wasn't. But the concern at the time was that in, in the immediate aftermath of some of the heightened um, Hutch Kinahan um, gang violence, oh that because the Kinahan family is heavily involved in boxing promotion, that basically trying to police an event in Croke Park that might have 85, 90, 95,000 people there, because remember, you can fill all the stands mm-hmm. and you can put seats on the pitch as well. So you can have an enormous number of people there, that policing that would be prohibitively expensive and that they basically didn't think it was a runner to try and have that many people in the stadium for an event that could be sensitive. Now, m- maybe that that threat might have subsided a little bit. I think everyone would love the the sentimentality of giving Katie Taylor one final oh, last so hurrah and giving her, giving her the national occasion that it probably deserved because last mm. Saturday wasn't that until suddenly she won and people realised how brilliant she was. Um, but I do feel like we'll I see. did hear a lot of people talking about it in the run-up to it. Like obviously I'm not, uh, I'm on the periphery of these things but even I felt that it was, mm. it was quite a big deal was it not in the run-up to it? Was, yeah. 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 it was a run-up to this not much more muted than first time around though. But she didn't do interviews you're saying. She's kind of, you know, she... Yeah, she there was a lot less in terms of actual press build-up to it and there was the odd press conference which Eddie Hearn her promoter was was doing and okay. she was present at and whatnot yeah. uh, and a lot here. of questions he was on the yeah mm. exactly yeah he did he did the rounds and he was asked actually some good questions by Conor McGregor as well because he was he was uh, co-sponsor I think of the fight in many ways or at least his companies yeah. were or whatever yeah, Ford, Ford's yeah. Cloud is one of the um, but yeah I think it does set up an amazing you know it does look like they are set to do the trilogy Chantel Cameron seems like an amazing 
athlete as well, incredible fighter. And I think there's a growing respect between the two of them now. Mm. They've had two absolute wars at this point. Mm. To get to this, Chantel Cameron posted on Instagram saying, genuinely, uh, thank you from the bottom of my heart to everyone who flew over to Ireland to come and support me, spending your well-earned money before Christmas. I appreciate it so much, but sorry, it wasn't the night everyone had planned, which is lovely. Uh, yeah. Really nice, really classy stuff. Um, and it's amazing to see it happening in women's boxing um, at a time when men's boxing is kind of not in a brilliant spot mm. either in the, in the professional game. Um, so yeah, um, it is incredible. It is remarkable the things Katie Taylor has been able to do throughout a very long career at this point. Mm. If you go back all the way through the amateur ranks, everything she did at European and World Championship level, mm. the Olympics, all the great times. And there has been knockbacks and there has been down sides as well, which is any great journey has to have its twists in it. Yeah. Uh, she has not had it all her own way throughout that. She has not been indomitable and undefeated, uh, which is stuff which matters to boxers. But she has been able to pick herself up so many times and been mm. an incredible role model throughout as well, yeah. which is not something we should take for granted when it comes to sporting stars either. Uh, she has been absolutely remarkable all the way through. And oh, she's been made. I loved. Is it, is it a documentary or a film? Would you call it, Katie? The one that was made kind of both years by ago. Ross Whitaker. It's a docu yeah. film. Mm. Yeah. If you haven't watched that, I mean, like obviously, now is the time to totally lean into that. I mean, she to watch her razor sharp focus and to see just mm. the drive that that she has as an individual and to come back and to be so resilient. It's amazing. Yeah. I actually watched that documentary a couple of times. I really enjoyed well, it. The drive that you would have seen in that then augmented because, you know, there was a real question mark over her future after her defeat earlier yeah. this year. So then the, to double down again and to be as classy and as pacey and the energy she brought like on Saturday night for, mm. for somebody who a lot of people thought was past her prime was amazing. Which is one, one that just fine reflection yeah. on Katie Taylor. Uh, I saw the, the IABA or one of the, the boxing associations uh, tweet this afterwards. It is this century, it is within this century, it was like 2001, that she participated in the very first officially sanctioned women's boxing match in Ireland in the National mm -hmm. Stadium. That was as recent as 2001. And then look what she's done in the 10 years then up to London 2012 and in the 11 years since then, now being an undisputed champion in two weight classes at the same time. It's incredible. Like there, there was no sport for her to take up. No, and I, she's made it. I think the point that you make, just want to finish on this, that about being really classy is such an important point because I think Kate Taylor has been unbelievably dignified throughout her career, hasn't she? She's really sort of... Um, come to the ring with such like enthusiasm, poise and even in defeat she's been really dignified and really classy in the outcome of all that and so we wish you the best luck. Do you think Croke Park will happen? Do we know? When will we know? I think uh, Croke Park says they've been con they haven't received contact about it yet. Okay. And there's a process Somebody there. send the email. Let's find out if this is going to happen. <laughs> Let's get the ball rolling. <laughs> uh, what's your favourite Girls Aloud song? <laughs> The Promise. What a cold up. Off the, off the bat. <laughs> really? The Promise. This is great tunes. They actually, um, I was only on another podcast there the other day. Our friend Dave's podcast. Give it a No play. encore. No encore uh, Dave. with Dave Hanratty. We love it. Uh, we were talking about pop bangers of the late 2000s. And uh, Girls Aloud had an incredible run mm. um, from when they got going through Pop Stars The Rivals, I think it was in 2002. Oh, yeah. never no forget. One, no one ever remembers never the male lads they beat. Poor old one true voice one written out of history. It was a big comeback for Nadine Coyle after the whole well, passport. Also, instance. it was a big comeback for Girls Aloud because th that format of, of Pop Stars that year, the previously it was always just, oh, let's find some person who's going to be Christmas number one. And that year was the one where they did two bands and they were competing against each other for oh Christmas God, number one. Yeah. And one true voice were outselling them right up until the middle of the last week. And it was only a late comeback is by so Girls Aloud that, that suddenly proje projected them into the, the band that they became. It's Matt, how long are they? They're, they're gone 10 years? Uh, have they been in 2011 is when they were, when the, apparently they split up. Uh, like, which, so they had, they had a fairly, they had a decent uh, shelf life for a pop group to, yeah. to get going from a nine year run. 
um, in, in a very commercial landscape. But that makes me, because we were having a discussion earlier this week in the newsroom about, you know, when are you officially late 30s? And now that I'm 37, I think I am, alas. But like oh, nothing... your birthday. Happy birthday. Nothing makes you feel older, though, than the idea that like a, a band that you remember being big in your like teenage years <laughs> is suddenly like on the, the comeback trail and you're like... It doesn't feel like they were gone long enough for there to be that kind of level of nostalgia, but actually, no, their debut yeah. was like 20 years ago. Oh, oh yeah. Right. And well, Sound of the Underground was 20 years ago. 2002. Yeah. That's my favorite Girls Delight song, Fire. Sound of the Underground. Great but then their cover of Jump, um, which great. Oh, yeah. Like, so good. Mm. Like, just watch Love Actually. I was putting the tree up there the other day and was like, this song is a belter. Yeah. Mm. Oh, but yeah. that's the Pointer Sisters version, though, where Hugh Grant is doing the Christmas tree thing. Oh, yeah, fair. Okay. Yeah. But still, yeah. still, their version's good. Well, yeah, like, you, you, say, you say it's been a short time, Gav. Like, I think that is purely then the past evasion. Because yeah, like, yeah. take, that, take that did their first big reunion in 2006. Mm. They don't have been gone. Their for, first reunion was 2000. Yeah. Their reunions were 17 years ago yeah yeah, yeah oh, 2006 yeah 2006 and they came back yeah so yeah he's putting his head down so everyone can see the ball so they were only gone 10 years it's actually been a longer period of time yeah uh since girls girls allowed I feel like that yeah. take that yeah. comeback era is longer now than their original they have a couple of reunions as well haven't they yeah they have it a very impressive apparently they their stage show uh, take that is they're always worth seeing I've never seen it every show. have you watched the Robbie Williams thing on Netflix uh, I saw the first episode it was um, quite good I, I didn't I like, know he had such a beef with Gary Barlow I was like did I miss that I, I think it was fairly were, I think it was kind of notorious was I, I'm, not, I'm not all that in the loop on it but no, I think it was fairly spicy alright mm. but uh, the Girls Allowed Fever that I've seen across like Instagram today the amount of people I know I've seen who've like posted mm. up the Ticketmaster confirmation huge yeah so it's amazing it's great to see yeah I mean, no, sorry, it is, but they were a different era, but I suppose I would have been more of a Spice Girls fan myself, personally. Probably won't be mm. rushing out to go to Girls Aloud, but I do, they are fab. It's too many good gigs. Bit of a pop factor mm. trip. People never realise that Sugar Babes, that the name of Sugar Babes is a direct retort to the Spice Girls. Mm. I never knew that. Sugar and Spice, the Babes and Girls. Yeah. That is truly response. Yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. Sugar, Sugar Babes, Babes are well loved at this point <laughs> Amazing. Well. They're doing Amazing. like, they do so many festivals. They did a um, very popular uh, online, well, it's not just online, the house music EDM thing called Boiler Room which does like mm. DJ sets effectively around and they, plays they, around the UK they, they, they did one they basically performed at it which was a huge thing wow uh, so they are very much the top so mm. the girl group thing is very much back in uh, in sort of a stage of rebirth at this also point. A group when you say feature. Boiler Room I think of the teenage disco and Clonic Hill which is also called <laughs> oh, the Boiler no, Room no. back in the day wow <laughs> oh, yeah, it was a community hall slightly suspect yeah. branding for a yeah, teenage event uh, Sugar Babes also of course in Love Actually you've already you've clearly bro- yes, broken your tree. Love Actually Richard does not want to talk about the Christmas trees he's, he's going to not engage in the Christmas tree I'm just going to look at my phone for a while <laughs> yeah, <totally. laughs> sorry but we used to put the tree up on your birthday which is like that was during the pandemic the pandemic fair enough so I think there was, um, it was all bets were off yeah. at that point yeah I got the tree up on Monday. I'm absolutely thrilled. I can't even tell you. I love the tree. Mm. Um, I've gone for a real tree again this year. Remember last year, I was like, I'm going to a Christmas tree farm. I'm going to yes. do the whole experience. So I did that yes. and that was lovely. Um, I do recall though, then you asking for our advice in like February as to at what point where, <laughs> no. where you could dispose of a Christmas tree at that point. What happened like, to All the Christmas tree year. facilities have closed, Sarah. So basically, by the time I went to take the tree down, because I loved it so much, I hung yeah. on to the tree till like mid-January. And then it was really unfortunate actually when I phoned up to have the tree taken away they had just finished the tree removal thing like the day before Uh, and like I can't the poor lady I was like please surely you have like one van that will come and take this tree away and I had to beg her and then they came out and took it but they actually did in the end okay they did but it it took me two days of grovelling on the phone to some woman (laughs) to get her to come and take my tree away so you got yours up yeah, unusually early because we would ordinarily wait until this weekend coming. Uh, but I th- thought what we were doing last Sunday that just the idea struck us that we were all just at home for the afternoon. We said, you know, let's just do oh. it now. 
But your um, birthday was on Monday, so it was nice to have the tree up for the birthday. Most ordinarily, we would wait until after my birthday has been and gone, because oh. that was our childhood tradition in home home. Okay. That we would always wait until my birthday was out of the woods and it was basically December and then we'd put it up. But this time we just said, you know what, we'll do it. But it's nice. The house just does feel kind of It does feel cozier. nicer, yeah. It's nicer. Now, I'm not going to lie. Our tree is, I love our tree. It's probably a bit thicker and it's probably taken up more space in the room than I'd like to admit. But like, it'll start to wilt over the next couple of weeks. As long as you do get rid of it in the first week of January, like a regular citizen and not just wait and have to I think beg he, someone yeah, else to I think he probably will. I mean, I think he's better at those things than me. Okay, so I think he'll probably right. sort it out. But on wait, you going to put one up? I will, yeah. I just haven't felt festive yet. Obviously, everything uh, yeah, happened last week is probably on, yeah. not yeah. exactly all that You'll festive. You'll get there. Okay, um, if we're just wrapping up, I'd like to thank everybody who um, has shared their Spotify wrapped or Spotify wrapped. Because a lot of people shared their top podcasts in which we feature yeah, for some, nice some people, yeah, which is very nice. nice. So it's always nice to see that. Um, so this marketing ploy by Spotify has absolutely worked on us and we're delighted that it has worked. Thank you. Uh, but thanks, everybody, for thank taking you. the time. Uh, to listen to the podcast. Yes, thank you. And we will be with you again next week. Um, thank you very much, news correspondent Richard Chambers, Richard correspondent Gavin Thanks, Riley. Sarah. Have a good one, guys. We'll talk to you in the documentary Thursday night. 10.15. 10.15. 10.15. See you then. Bye.